Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Hi everybody, it's so great to be with you this morning. For those who I haven't met before, my name is Natalie and I'm one of the leaders here at the Central Service. It's lovely to have you. I know we just went through a marathon of announcements. (laughs) I do have two small announcements, sorry, but I'll try to make them as interesting as possible. First of all, big up to the worship team this morning. Can we just give them a hand? Um, For those that came in about 11, they did a song called Our Confidence. It's an original song. It was written, in fact, by myself, Peter and Will from the Central Service. Um, And it is out now on all streaming platforms. So do me a favor, get your phones out, scan the QR code and make sure that you save the song. It is part of our vision as a worship team to gather people to write songs by the church for the church. There's something powerful about people in church community writing what God has placed on our hearts as a church and be able to sing that out to him in worship. And we really want to promote this. So this is just the start of us being able to do that so please do support share it to your friends and family members um, and we're going to have an EP with this song and many others coming out in the new year so please stay tuned for that yes come on get excited I like this (laughs) the second notice is that next week our service is going to be a little bit different We've got a special guest who will be joining us. Um, As Barry um, shared, we have uh, the Everything Conference coming up and the Everything Network is all about cultural renewal. We believe in the scripture when it says that all of the earth belongs to God and everything in it. We believe that part of our mandate as followers of Jesus is to see the cultural renewal and flourishing of the earth and that is what everything is all about it's seeing God's goodness in the mundane in the beauty in creativity in business in all sorts of aspects of life and so we're very pleased to have Makoto Fujimura joining us um Next Sunday, he's going to be doing an extended conversation with David. Um, Makoto is not known widely in the UK as much, but he's well-renowned in the US and beyond. And he specializes in the art form of kintsugi. Some of you may have heard of this. Some of you will be like, what's that? I'm going to tell you. Um, It's an art form where they take broken pottery particularly from Japanese tea drinking, and they rebuild it using liquid gold. And the result is that the pottery becomes more valuable than it once was before. And it's just this beautiful imagery of someone taking something that is broken and rebuilding it so that its value is far exceeding what it once was. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Um, So uh, Makoto doesn't just see this as an art form, but he sees this as something that has deep theological richness. And that's why he really wants to be able to share that with us next Sunday. So please spread the word, invite friends. This is a great opportunity 
to invite people who might be new to church or new to faith to really understand how God interacts with our everyday lives, how he interacts with our creativity and our art, that that is part of who he is. And he wants to show us something even deeper, more meaningful than just what's on the surface. So I really hope that you can be there next Sunday. Okay, now to what you've been waiting for, an actual sermon. Amen. (laughs) Um, So we've had the privilege of following a series called Light of the Fall, and it's focused on discipleship. Discipleship meaning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I hope that for those who have been following the series, what you can understand is that discipleship is a journey. It's not just this thing where, oh, I said the prayer one Sunday and I just got zapped into heaven and that's it. No, it's a daily journey of walking with God, of being loved by him, learning from him and living like him through the example of Jesus. And so today's talk is following that and it's called Formed by the Word. And we're talking about this book right here, the Bible. Um, I said this morning, I'm doing a talk today on the Bible. And that sounds really generic. And people are like, aren't you supposed to do that every Sunday? Which is true. Um, We're going to go a bit more in depth this morning. I'm going to start by reading a passage from the Bible. I'm going to read from Psalm 1, which says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, this is a beautiful description of someone and what they look like when they open their life to the Bible, which is described in this passage as the law of the Lord. And certainly Jesus himself was someone whose delight was in the law of the Lord. The scriptures governed his life on earth and confirmed his identity and his purpose. He read from Isaiah 61 when he declared his ministry to the Jewish scribes and Pharisees. He quoted from Deuteronomy when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And when he met with his disciples for breakfast, after being newly resurrected, he confirmed that his resurrection life was evidence that the scriptures were fulfilled and therefore trustworthy. So therefore, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, then it is essential that we have a similar relationship with the Bible, with God's word, because through that we can be shaped and flourish as Christians. Now, at the start of this talk, I have a bit of a confession. I feel like this is a safe space to share that I have an addiction, ladies and gentlemen. I am addicted to buying books. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. I have too many books to count. I'm pretty sure that 75% of my 
bookcase is actually filled with books that I haven't read and I'm not sure when I'm going to do so. In fact, a few weeks ago, I went to a worship conference and I specifically told Peter, I am not going to buy any more Christian books. Six books later, ladies and gentlemen, um, I went up to the till and there was an elderly gentleman there and he was like, you're really burning the plastic today, if only he knew. The irony was that I was already reading a Christian book at the time and I then realized that it was book one in a series of three. So naturally, the best thing for me to do in that moment was to go on Amazon and buy the other two books in the series so that I could read those first before the six books that I've just bought and then the other 30 books on my bookshelf yet to come. <laughs> And my addiction to buying books doesn't just stop at Christian literature. It also extends to Bibles. I have a very extensive Bible collection. My mum's actually here this Sunday and she knows that a lot of her shelves at home are filled with some of my Bibles. And I want to introduce you to a few. So this is my current Bible on rotation. Um, it actually contains devotionals for single women, which is nice. Um, and I hope to buy one that contains devotionals for married women as an act of faith. <laughs> um, it's the New International Version, which is handy for following passages in church. And um, plus, it's a vibrant color. Why go for basic brown or black when you can get aquamarine? Amen. Um, also in my collection is a big study Bible, which I use to prepare for talks like this one. And I have an even bigger Bible called the Evidence Bible, which is a gift from my friend and now colleague Adnan Khan, which has loads of like Q&A to help discuss the Bible with people who are new to faith. So that's really handy. And then I have a pocket Bible, which I carry with me and sometimes get out during my commute. Um, which then causes people to whisper about me for the entire train ride. <laughs> and while it's perfectly fine for you to spend your well-earned money on something other than Bibles, um, I'm aware that many people don't have the best relationship with the Bible. Um, a recent study by the Bible Society on UK millennials found that 48% of UK millennials do not have a relationship with the Bible, including 22% of professing Christians. 71% of millennials engage with the Bible less than once a month, including 51% of professing Christians. And only 30% of practicing Christians actually said that they enjoyed reading the Bible. So whilst this study obviously doesn't include the whole world, what we can imply from it is that there are many people who profess to be followers of Jesus and yet they're not really engaging with what they claim to believe is God's word. Furthermore, this also suggests that their lives are being primarily shaped by something other than the Bible. The other thing we're learning through this series is it's not a question about whether you're being shaped by something. You are being shaped by something in this world, whether you like it or not. We are being influenced every single day. But we can choose whether that is the word of God or if it's the strongest narratives in our culture, which are often against what God's word tells us. 
And unfortunately, if we choose the latter, this can not only lead to Christians who feel apathetic, lost and powerless in their faith, but it makes it much easier for those outside of the Christian faith to dismiss the Bible altogether. Therefore, my hope this morning is that this can be a starting point for us to approach the Bible in a way that leads to us delighting in it, just like Jesus did and just like the person spoken of in Psalm 1. But first, the obvious question, what exactly is the Bible? Now, I want to give credit to this amazing online resource. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it before called The Bible Project. Um, And they provide just incredible insight into the Bible, its books and its themes. They use amazing illustrations and videos. um, And any really good ideas from this talk essentially stems from there. So please do check it out. It's brilliant. But according to the Bible Project, they describe the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's a collection of ancient writings taken from the history of Israel. And this collection is very diverse, but it's unified in the following ways. First of all, it's unified in its source. Though the Bible was written and compiled by various human authors, all of it is inspired by God and divine in nature. Now, it might be easy to think, well, surely that's a paradox. Like, If it's written by humans, how is it inspired by God? It can't possibly be both. But I would argue against that because actually, if we look through the Bible, we can see a consistent pattern where God chooses to communicate his will and his purpose through his Holy Spirit and invites us to be part of that. For example, if we look at um, Joseph and Daniel and how they were given dreams or interpreted dreams that set out the course of history How was that done except by through God's spirit? When we look at Moses and Elijah and how they demonstrated through signs and wonders, the power of God declaring his sovereignty over the idols of the day. How was that done unless through God's spirit? And also when we read about the craftsmen who built the tabernacle and the temple, We see how it tells us that God's spirit filled them and gave them the insight and the intellect and the skill to be able to do those things. So actually, God pouring out his spirit upon men to bring about his purposes, to declare his word, makes a lot more sense than we might give it credit for. Secondly, the Bible is unified in its story. The Bible contains multiple genres. It has law and statute. It has historical narrative and storytelling, poetry. And they all express in different ways the same story of mankind's longing for mercy, redemption and reconciliation with their creator. Like creation groans for something better, for something more. And finally, the Bible is unified in its subject because it ultimately presents Jesus as the answer to this longing. And whilst not every passage explicitly mentions Jesus, the general narrative of scripture points to him being the fulfilled promise of God and our way back to him. Another helpful way to look at the Bible is to imagine it as like a play or a drama and it contains six acts. So imagine you're going to a theatre, maybe like the Globe Theatre, for example, 
And this is the play that you see. You have act one, creation. God creates the heavens and the earth. And that includes man and woman made in his image. Secondly, corruption. Mankind turns away from God and towards their own selfish desire, which leads to the corruption of creation. Act three, covenant. God chooses to make a covenant with Abraham's family through which all people might be saved. We have act four, Christ. The covenant is fulfilled in Christ through his life, death and resurrection. Act five is the church. Jesus' followers now filled with his Holy Spirit declare the good news of his resurrection and make more disciples for the transformation of the world. And finally, act six, consummation. Jesus will return to complete his redemptive work, creating a new heaven and earth where God will dwell with his people forever. Now imagine you go and you see this play at the globe and you've watched the first four acts and you're just, you're, you're captured by the, the action and the drama that's taking place. And suddenly the actors stop and they say, okay guys, we're reaching act five, but what we need you to do is to join us on stage and we're gonna give you a basic outline and then you're just gonna act out the rest of the story. You're gonna join us and you're gonna show everyone what happens next. You might think, wow, what a waste of 15 pounds. <laughs> but essentially, this is what we're doing as the church. We are in act five. We are going out, telling people about Jesus, making disciples and holding on to the hope of Act six when Jesus will return to make all things new. So the Bible is the story of Jesus and we are invited to pay a part by following him. So the question is, if this story is so epic, if it is so brilliant, then how comes we still find it difficult to engage with it? Why do we still find it difficult to make the Bible a daily part of our lives? Now, some of you will know that prior to um, working for Christchurch, I actually worked as a lawyer. And I studied law at university. And one of the things we had to study out of that was criminal law. And we learned that in order for someone to be guilty of a crime, they must have the following in place. First of all, you've got to have the mens rea or the guilty mind. The suspect has to have the motive or the intent to commit the crime. Secondly, you have to have the actus reus or the guilty action. The suspect must have the means to commit the act. So with murder, for example, if the person doesn't have the intent to kill, then the crime is downgraded to manslaughter. And without the means to kill, it could be attempted murder or conspiracy to murder, depending on the facts of the case. So using this analogy, what I want to suggest is, although in our hearts, our desire is to have the Bible shape us and to be a central part of our faith, we often don't have the correct mindset or the practices or habits in order for that to actually happen. So let's take a look at where we might be going wrong. Firstly, we have the mindset. Now, if we refer back to the Bible Project, they recently had a podcast about biblical paradigms. And a paradigm is a mental framework or perspective that we use to make sense of the world around us. For example, 
Food is a big family paradigm for my dad. It's the way that he makes sense of human affection and relationships. For example, if you fail to make my dad a nice dinner, he feels like you don't care about him and you will hear about it for weeks. When my mom goes away on trips with her girlfriends, rather than texting me to say that he's feeling lonely and he wants a bit of company in the house, my dad will send me pictures of food on WhatsApp that he's cooked in order to lure me back home. <laughs> but if a friend of mine comes over and declines an offering of food from my dad, he is personally rejected. Even if it's for the genuine reason that they're simply not hungry, like, can you imagine? He's still talking about school friends who didn't eat chips that he cooked for them when they came over. <laughs> and the Bible project suggests that the common paradigm, the framework that we use when we engage with the Bible is the reference book model. Simply put, we just see the Bible as a source of information that we refer to when needed. Like, you don't take a cookbook and read it to your children as a bedtime story, right? You just look up what you need to know about the recipe and you put it away. And in the same way, we can often treat the Bible like this as well. So they've, they split it into three subcategories. First of all, we can treat the Bible like a theological dictionary. Simply put, what do I need to know? Maybe a moral rule, rule book. What do I need to do? Or a devotional grab bag. How does this make me feel? Now, there are a couple of major red flags with this approach. Firstly, it doesn't include the concept of a relationship with God. The beauty of the Bible being living and active as a text is that the Holy Spirit works through it to bring us closer to God in relationship with him. That is why it's so essential because as you read through it, as you study it, you come to understand the God that you're choosing to enter into relationship with. It wasn't designed for us to just pick up the basics and go on to live our lives independently from God. One of the um, biggest things that I think can really hinder us in terms of our relationship with Jesus is this idea of self-sufficiency. And it's so ingrained in our culture. People are celebrated by making their own path and doing things independently and finding things out for themselves. But that is not what Christianity is about. The more that you grow in your spiritual life, the more you realize how much you need Jesus. You are never going to stop needing God. You are always dependent on him. That's why when Jesus said to the devil in the wilderness, when he was tempted, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. What he's saying is there is that we need God's word for survival. It is that essential. We are not created for mere autonomy apart from God. We're created for relationship with God and the Bible invites us into this and the fact is there are many people today who have so much information about God in the Bible but they don't have a relationship with him 
Richard Dawkins, for example, probably knows scripture better than many people in this room. Let's be honest. But he doesn't have a desire to have a relationship with God. He's not using the Bible in that way. If anything, he's using the Bible to dismiss God altogether. I remember a guy that I went to university with, um, and he was well-versed in theology. He was the sort of person that everyone just kind of avoided getting into a, a biblical conversation with because you just knew he would wipe the floor with you, and then you'd walk away from it being like, Lord, am I still saved? I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, but I tell you today, that same guy is no longer a Christian. He's no longer in church. And in fact, he attended numerous churches and every time he would find some minute point in scripture that he disagreed upon with someone else and he just used that to determine, I don't want to stay here anymore. The fact is he idolized knowledge. He thought that his understanding of the Bible was what made his relationship with God. But, but that's not it. Knowledge of scripture memorizing verses in the Bible. I'm not saying that these things are not important. What I'm saying is if you're basing your relationship with Jesus on those things, then you're sadly mistaken. That's not what we're meant to do. The second red flag in this paradigm is that it reduces the richness of scripture to a bullet point list of key facts, do's and don'ts. Now, in fairness, church tradition has played some part in this because we've developed over the years, you know, uh, systematic theology and catechisms and creeds, etc. And they were designed to help Christians recall and remind themselves of what the gospel is. They are helpful. But what we've done is we've reduced everything in the Bible to the, just this list that we have to remember. If I just know these points of the gospel, then I've, I've got it all down. And again, that's not what scripture was designed to be. It wasn't merely to be some um, list that we can sort of memorize and say, okay, I understand it now. The Bible is more than that. Not every story fits into an outline as neatly as others. And that's actually okay. Because the richness in scripture often comes from what we learn about God's nature and his relationship with people and how he engages with people and his purpose in that and our response to that. And he says that in so much storytelling and wisdom passages in the Bible. For example, I used to struggle a lot with the book of Job. I used to think that, okay, the, the purpose of Job in the Bible is to basically tell me why people suffer. And if I can just work that out from Job, then like I never have to read it again. Like that's all I need to know. That's all I need to figure out. But every time I used to read it, I was like, I don't understand. Like I'm not getting a response to this question. I still don't understand why Job suffered. And the irony is that no one really does. <laughs> like, there isn't really an answer in Job for that because that's not why Job was written. But when I approached it, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to have an agenda when I read this book anymore. I'm simply going to read it and ask God to speak to me about what he wants to share. I started to realize that the book was more about the interaction between God and Job in the midst of his suffering rather than trying to answer a theological question. 
Job helps me to think more about my posture towards God when I experience difficult circumstances. And that's the difference when you're not just scouting for answers to your questions in Scripture. Not to say that the Bible can't answer questions for you, but when you allow Scripture regularly to shape you as a follower of Jesus, to speak to you as to who Jesus is, who God is, what his nature is, and what our response to that is. You get so much more out of it. Um, And I think that Saint Anselm said it best when he described theology as faith seeking understanding. It's a desire to know God more through his word. And that stems from a genuine and curious love for him. Now, we've gone through some of the mindset and the theory, so let's go on to some practical points. How can we develop a game plan to give us a fighting chance of making the Bible a key part of our Christian walk? First of all, we need to have a routine. Using some great advice from my friend Adnan, the key is to find a time, a place, and a pattern. Find a time to read the Bible, Find a good place to read it where you're not distracted. And then find a pattern that you can follow where you can continue to do that regularly. And it's really crucial that as we do this, we're both intentional and realistic. Because our current culture can be quite obsessed with authenticity. If we don't feel like doing something, you know, if I, I just, I'm not really feeling it and it's not really there for me. And like, you know, I feel like I'm doing something, but like deep down, I'm not getting that joy. So I think the best thing for me to do if I'm not excited every single time that I do it is that I'm going to drop it and then I'm going to go on Instagram and hashtag self-care. Okay. But reading the Bible, whether you like it or not, it's a discipline. And a discipline means that it's something you have to build up within yourself. We're not always going to like reading the Bible. And we might not always have a profound experience every time we read the Bible. Anyone who has read Leviticus will know what that feels like. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have an effect. We need to be players of the long game. We need to allow a regular pattern of reading God's word to shape us long term. For example, think about people who do exercise or go to the gym. Everyone instantly had a friend in their head when I said that. You know the type. They take the gym selfies and they put it on Instagram and they have you fooled thinking like, it's just every day is just a great gym day. But don't be fooled. That is not the case. Some of those gym bunnies don't feel like getting up at 6 a.m. all the time. And they will have days where their gym session is just okay. But does that mean we discount every single time they go to the gym just because sometimes it's not, you know, revitalizing and exciting? No, obviously not. Because every session will still have an impact together as a whole. Every effort counts. So we should be intentional about reading scripture. But on the other hand, we need to be realistic about what we can achieve. So, newsflash, if you're not a morning person, trying to read the Bible with your oat latte at 5 a.m. probably isn't going to work out for you. And that's okay. Try to read the Bible at a time you're going to actually retain the information and remember what you've looked at. 
Secondly, if you have a really bad phone scrolling habit, then maybe you should consider getting a physical Bible instead of relying on the YouVersion app. Because back in the day, people used to make these things called books and used to read through the pages. And guess what? There's no ads and you don't have to subscribe. <laughs> like, it's really useful to develop a plan and a pattern, but you don't need to lord it over yourself. If something isn't working, do something else. Because the purpose is not trying to say, oh, I've managed to read the Bible in one year. I'm not knocking Nicky Gumbel. The Bible in one year is great. But what I'm saying is if you're struggling every single time to do that, and then you're just feeling guilty and ashamed about it, that's not the experience that God wants you to have of the Bible. He just wants you to enjoy his word. So find a way that you can enjoy that. Find a pattern that works for you. Secondly, we need to remember that the Bible is an ancient text and we aren't its original readers. I'm afraid to say it's a very Western mindset to approach books like this in a way where we just expect it to be relevant and we just expect to understand without looking at any historical context like it doesn't work like that if the bible feels otherworldly it's because it is if it feels ancient it's because it is therefore it's really helpful to understand the context of what we're reading who was the author of the passage who was it written for and why what was going on at the time that can help us understand what was being said? Now, sometimes I do come across people, particularly um, people who are like new to faith because they're very keen when it comes to Bible reading. And they'll be like, nah, you know what? I've just read the gospel of Luke. It was amazing. But now I think I'm, I'm ready for revelation. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, look, Revelation is great, but do you actually know the story of the Bible? And they're like, well, um, I, don't, I don't know if I do. And I'm like, well, that's not going to be helpful for you to jump right across from Act 1 to Act 6 and then expect to understand what is going on. It's more helpful to start with a general overview. For example, it's a bit like when sometimes I'll visit my mum and she's watching EastEnders and like it's in the middle of the show and I could sit there and I could try to work out what's going on. But the fact is, I'm in the middle of this massive storyline. It's been going on for weeks, months, years, and I'll have no idea like what to make of any of it. Most likely, I'll just be confused. But if I say to my mum, mum, can you explain to me like what's going on here? Like, you know, who killed who? Who slept with who? Um, and she sits down, she says, OK, now this is what's going on then it's a lot easier for me to understand what a waste of time it is to watch EastEnders. <laughs> but in the same way, <laughs> why not use resources that have been created to help you understand the context of scripture or to provide an overview? Um, I know growing up, I used to be told that using like Bible commentaries and things like that when you're reading scripture takes away from like, the spiritual power, like, oh, you need to let the Holy Spirit give you independent insight. And I, I do understand that. But at the same time, if you're confused, it's okay to refer to people who have taken the time to study in depth and can help you understand. Um, I've put like a few resources on here. As I said, the Bible project, again, just so brilliant. It has 
hundreds of videos that outline each book of the Bible. They have videos on like different themes that come into the Bible, like such as the theme of the kingdom, heaven and earth, blessings and curses, that sort of thing where it can be very mystical and you're like, I'm not sure what to make of this. They really break it down. Um, secondly, we have, I'm trying to remember the slides now, um, the Bible in 30 Minutes podcast by UCB. This is brilliant. Um, the author of the podcast, he actually started reading the Bible before he was a Christian um, as a history student at university because his lecturer said that if he was trying to study history at degree level and had never read the Bible, then he's just missed a whole chunk of civilization. Um, and so he started to read it and then became a Christian through reading the Bible. And so he's passionate about explaining the books of the Bible to people who are just completely um, new to faith or who aren't Christians at all, who've never been to church, who've never read the Bible before, don't have any context. He's awesome at just sort of explaining what each book means. And then finally, there's the storyline of the Bible by Cornerstone Fellowship Church. If you Google them, <laughs> they have a Bible reading plan that essentially builds as it goes on. So you start off plan A, doesn't go through every chapter of the Bible. It goes through the highlight chapters so you can get a general overview of the story of the Bible. And then it goes on to plan B, which starts adding chapters on. So by the time you get to the end, you would have read the whole Bible, but it probably be, will be a lot less confusing if you've never done it before. So I thoroughly recommend that. Um, but there's just so many things that you can use. The point is help yourself, help yourself to understand. Don't sit there in confusion. There's so much out there that can really help us grasp this book. I wonder if the band could come up. There are a couple passages that come to mind for me when I think about what a life that is built upon God's word looks like. The first one is Psalm 1, which I shared at the beginning. But the other one that is close to my heart is Matthew 7. Um, and it says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them will liken him. I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock and the rain descended. The floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in crazy times right now when nothing feels certain, nothing feels sure. I mean, let's face it, we don't even know if we're going to have the same prime minister next week. <laughs> but Jesus promises that we can be grounded and secure by listening to his words. The same words contained in this book. Now, reading the Bible doesn't make you a better Christian. It doesn't make you more loved by God or approved by God. That is grace. We are loved and accepted by God through his grace alone. It's not by anything that we do. But if you want to have a vibrant Christian life, if you want to have a life that's marked by peace in the storms, by joy in the sorrows of disappointment and hope in the waiting and the despair, then this book is where you need to start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege 
of having your words. We thank you that you do not leave us on our own to figure things out, but you have a relationship with us and that you've entrusted us with your scripture that we might come to understand who you are, to know that you are loving, that you are good, that you are merciful, to know that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place, that we might be reconciled to you, free from guilt, free from shame, and basking in your eternal love. Lord, I thank you that you are gentle and patient with us, even in the times where we haven't prioritized reading the Bible, even in the times where we found it confusing. Lord, I thank you that you are still here, patiently waiting for us to return to you for help. And so, Lord, I pray through your spirit, will you help us? Will you help us to make reading your word an essential part of our lives? May we cling on to your word like water refreshing us in the very depths of our being. May we look to you through your word for everything that we need to live and not just to survive but to thrive and to flourish. We want to be followers of Jesus that flourish. We don't want to be followers of Jesus that just get by, that just go through the motions. No, we want to live in power. We want to live in peace. We want to live in joy. We want to live in triumph. We want to live in hope. And we want to share this hope with whoever will listen to us. But we know it starts with us. With us reading your words. With us reminding ourselves of your grace and mercy. So Lord, let's start today. And let's encourage each other as a church to press into your word. Let's encourage each other where we are weak to travel together on this journey of getting to know you. Thank you, Lord, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.